We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Arsenal show their commitment to the Banter Cup by bringing the banter and proving yet again that the old saying is true, the best defense is scoring four goals. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I am joined by Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Paz. Woohoo! And Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Indeed, that's right. Uh, it is Europe's premier banter competition, and I think we showed that we are committed to it uh, with a performance that... Uh, it was interesting, to say the least. Resulted in three points and puts us that much closer to facing Bayern in the round of 16. Um, a lot to get to here, so let's start with really the most pressing issue, and I'll start with you, Clive. Um, I think you can't go into this game or come away from this game without asking yourself, is Carlo Ancelotti the next Arsenal manager? Uh, um, he's probably a bit too young. A bit too young and forward-thinking for us. So, Fair um, enough. Touche. You know. <laughs> I do the comedy, um, you do the, the tactical analysis, my friend. Let's stick to our roles here, unlike some of the players on the pitch tonight. Yeah, there was a time when he was he was the man, right? Um bit like Arsenal actually. Bayern Munich have sort of uh, they've reached a point in their cycle where they need to have a look at themselves and and they've, they've taken a decision. And watching the game last night, obviously PSG, obviously the, the super team and they're well funded, but Bayern look slower, older. You look at their players. You're thinking, okay, are you getting any better? Are you getting any better? And um, suddenly the team that's been beating us for the last few years has just gone over the top. And so it's quite interesting. They took the decision really, really quickly. And they're looking for something else. So it'd be interesting to see what direction they go. They might go for that young Hoffenheim manager. 
you know, the thirty-year-old Nagelsmann, not just doing really well. Yeah, that's him. Sorry, I should have known his name. Um, that's what I'm here so, for. So yeah, uh, encyclopedic uh, encyclopedic knowledge of European football. Yeah, I've heard he's he's been, he's been lined up, but is it this time or the one after? Because he's still very young. It'd be interesting to see the direction they go because they've had the the super manager, the main man who brought in all new ideas. They look to stabilise from that position with um, Ancelotti. And, and I haven't read anything yet, so it'll be interesting to see what the rumours are about who's going to re- replace him. Shall I recommend an avuncular Frenchman uh, based on the old adage that if you can't beat him, join him? Um, look, I mean, I, I think all kidding aside, we're a club in need of new ideas, someone on the vanguard of football coaching, someone who is really on the cutting edge tactically and you can look at Ancelotti and hear what the players are saying and that they don't feel drilled and they don't feel prepared and they're coming off of Pep Guardiola who is so detail-oriented. And I just can't help but think Carlo Ancelotti sounds a little bit like the Italian Arsene Wenger at this point. Um, Probably not what we're looking for. But Arsenal played a match today. Let's get to that. Paul, um, I bitched and moaned on the previous podcast. That's not news, but in this particular instance, my complaint was that I did not think the back five that faced Doncaster would be suitable uh, for Bate away. Um, I gave Bate more credit maybe than they deserved in terms of their quality, but the manager essentially went with the same except Mustafi replacing the injured Chambers. And while the game got off to a pretty good start, and I don't think you can complain with the final scoreline or how we did in the attacking half, which, by the way, I did make the point that I thought we'd have enough for them in the attacking half. This, once again, was sort of banter-era defending. Um, are you starting to worry at all that the lack of options we have behind the starting five, so to speak, could eventually become an issue if we're not just using these guys in the Carabao or Banter Cup? Well, I don't think I'm starting to worry any more than I was worrying about it the last time I worried about it. All right, let's put it this way. This performance by the defense didn't do anything to sort of uh, redeem their (laughs) reputation from the Doncaster performance, did it? No, it did not. Um but but I don't think anybody's shocked. The the one thing I did think was, uh, I kind of thought, um, you know, we we beat them four uh, two. We sent out this this young mixed team that kind of kind of hasn't played together. Kind of has, kind of hasn't. Um, but you know, would w- would anybody really get upset about the lineup we selected? And then I remembered Yankee Gunner. No. That- <laughs> All right, now, just to be fair, I, I no. wasn't upset by it. I wasn't upset by oh, it. No. I was no. just worried, and, and I think yeah. you can see the reason for it, that defensively this lineup might not be enough to hold them off. And on another day, I mean, like I said in the, in the witty intro that I always do, four goals proved to be the best defense here, but yeah. they could have scored three or four. I mean, this this could have been any scoreline at either end, really. Yeah, uh, so I'd say I kind of agree with the selection on the day it was probably in line with with what i mooted on the last pod but i agree with your underlying anxiety which is what does it say about the depth of a squad which we had 31 players in at one stage we got rid of a bunch we still have a deep squad but they're deep squad that isn't balanced it doesn't cover especially when you look at a uh, it's it's worrying and reassuring in equal amounts that we're plugging away with this three of the back. Um, you know, overall, I like that. I, I, I would have, I would have also liked if we switched to a four at the back this e- uh, this evening to show our flexibility and that we're not like 
uh, monotone on it. So he could have gone either way and I would have been okay with that. But e- either way, we would have struggled to have enough uh, fullbacks or center backs on the corners. Um, so that's the most, wor- you know, out of all of that, that's what worries me. Europa League, not Europa League. You don't even need to have a game during the week to have a restless uh, night thinking, my God, what happens if if something happens to either Monreal or Kalasinac mm-hmm. or Bellerin? Who have we got? Uh, and centre-back-wise, um, I think our first three or maybe four centre-back choices are okay for a back three, but it's really only our first three. And if if any of them loses form or if your concerns over Mas- Mustafi prove to be kind of proven more true as the season goes on. Not the ravings got, of a lunatic, uh, essentially? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, we got nowhere else to go. We've That would leave us with two centre-backs we believe in and some other centre-backs. So we're like, re- we go off a cliff real quick there. Yeah. Um, the, the other frustration in games like this is, um, I mean, I mean, I'm sure the logic is there. Uh, I mean, the logic is there, but I want to see Ainsley Maitland-Niles after the manager's glowing appraisal of him in the presser yesterday. He says he's the next Sergio Busquets and then plays him at left wing back. (laughs) Again. Now, I know he needed a left wing back, but man, I'll tell you what you might need during the season, Arson, a somewhat played in DM who can do more of a Kante role, which none of our other other DMs can. They can't cover... Uh, track back, you know, get all over the pitch at speed, nip in, clean tackles, all those things you talked about. I mean, Ramsey at his top form can maybe do a bunch of that, but he he still doesn't have the physical attributes of a Kante and that at some level, um, maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles could reproduce if he had the right confidence, comfort within the team, had been played in, etc., you know, if he doesn't really think he has that, if he's as good as the manager says he is, but just needs focus and confidence, um, that's the player you're missing, Arson, in terms of your mm-hmm. portfolio of centre-backs. For, so, for God's sake, stop. Unless you believe it's Willock, and I think Willock's way too far off being that player. I think he had a fairly tidy game it, mm. if you throw in a few fudge factors. But still, he wouldn't make me think we fill that hole. And uh, I understand Maitland-Niles, you know, uh, hasn't really proven anything and uh, shows uh, uh, kind of rash moments uh, and loose passes and errors of focus and judgment. But when he isn't doing that... Man, he gives us so much to cover that yeah. th- the center of the park yeah. that could balance out a Chaka or a Ramsey if we needed another. But not uh, giving him time mid. in that position means you're going to be hard pressed to feel confident playing him there in a critical situation. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I really think it's if he believes half of what he said in the presser. So, did you ever get a chance to watch the presser? We were chatting about this on the WhatsApp. I didn't. I saw the quotes. I did not get to see what it I understand was one, one step above a, a Muppet movie. Do you see no, it? I read, I read it. I read it. Oh, I read no. It, it, it took place in a cinema. Is that correct? It <laughs> took place in a cinema. Reading it, like most pressers, you can get away with reading them. Nothing does this just justice. It's wonderful. So Arson's waiting five minutes for most questions in Belarusian or whatever they call it. And then 
after always the like when we, you know, we get, when we get a slide dig on a foreign language in on the pod. Always, yeah, always nice to get yeah, that. Yeah. Get a dig in or whatever your silly and language then, is called. <laughs> and then after it's translated, they all of it chat about what it means. It usually involves Alex Kleb. Um, one of the questions ended like, if you had to play against a team of Alex Klebs, or it was just, it was weird stuff. So it was like the questions at the end of the Ars cast, like if you had to play against a team of Alex Klebs or have feet for hands, which would you choose? One of those kind of things. It was, there were like three questions where I thought, this is like feckin' Ars cast extra with like a shark and a whale. It was all over the place. It was farce. So befitting the competition is what you're saying. the level of professionalism was maintained all the way through. It was the worst and best press I've ever awesome. seen. But my favorite bits were involved when Arson talked about Ainsley Maitland-Niles, and then the Belarusian journalists were all saying, could you say his name again? <laughs> and then, what is his number? And then they then they wouldn't understand the number, and they go back to, what's his name again? Well, then Arson they must have been super confused when they're like, where's this guy that Arson was saying is such an incredible midfielder? Oh, there he is playing at wingback. Um, yes. Well, so we did the old switcheroo. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it was well, wonderful. Yeah, it's, it sounds like uh, great banter, and there was a lot of banter on, on this occasion in general. Uh, Clive, I, I want to get to Jack in a minute, because I think that may be the most significant talking point in terms of ramifications for our season going forward, um, it, it, and we'll come to that. But I, I want to stay on the young kids just for a second. And I guess, yeah. look, I don't think any of them look close to ready to be first-team contributors. I think they got by in a game where the, the level – of the opposition allowed them to just about get by and their teammates allowed them to just about get by. But I guess my question for you is, do you think their struggles collectively were a product of a lack of quality and readiness and being played somewhat out of position? Or do you think it's something that, that I, I kind of worry about that they were all individually just trying to do too much to impress? I, I really felt in this game that there were times with Willick or with Maitland-Niles, not as much with Nelson, who, who was kind of invisible, to be fair, that, that you could see them pressing to, to make a difference, to make an impact, to show the flashes of their quality. I mean, do you think they struggled due to a lack of, of being at the level or more from just trying to do too much to be seen and noticed? Um, we, we could have a disagreement, actually, because I didn't think they struggled too badly at all. Okay, so, so think, just stop um, for a minute. So... Let's let's do this, because obviously you didn't see the game. They, they were really, really bad. Do you want to just kind of guess at why they were really bad, or do you want to? <laughs> I did run this game through the Crapatron four thousand with all the fudge oh, factors to give you a realistic rating of how we performed. Uh, it. We'll, we, we can come, come to, to that, that later. later. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Really appreciate that contribution. All right, Clive. So, uh, disabuse me of my notion that the kids weren't all right. Well, they they, they did. They did a good. They did. A, you have to get it in perspective, right? It depends how are you comparing them, what you comparing them to, right? So quality, I at, quality first the, team players. <laughs> let's talk about the um, the three the three real young ones, right? So we've got two seventeen year olds and a nineteen year old, right? Playing one in the center of a pitch in a European game, starting, right? So I think what what they've achieved just by being out there is is good. So the the thing about the three of them, which is interesting, and if you compare it to maybe. I think it was Sheffield Wednesday away one day in the, in the League Cup game when we got beat quite badly with youngsters. Those youngsters were, you know, called by the manager not good enough, and he was right because they weren't they weren't able to keep up with a League One team at the time, and we got beaten badly. 
the thing about these guys is that when I look at them, I look at their physicality and think, okay, this is where you are at 17, 18, 19. Where are you going to be at 20, 21? So physically, you can keep up with the opponent. That's a great, that's a great place. That's a great place. So what you need to work on now, what you need now is experience on the pitch. You need experience and technical accuracy and decision-making. And the only way you can get that is by playing. So while you're getting that, are you leaving us open? Are you leaving gaps? Are you getting bullied? I didn't think they got bullied. I thought they won races. I thought they challenged their men. In fact, you know, with Nelson, what I liked about him was the fact that he wasn't desperate. He was quite composed. He played like a player who was going to get more time and more chances. I think with Ainsley Maitland Niles, I call him, you know, again, he's somebody who looks perfect physically. You almost want to see more of him in the right position and more movement from him. But, I mean, he had 70-plus touches and he had a good pass completion rate. And what I, my issue with him slightly is, I said it before, is lack of proactivity. But also, if you watch him, he's a bit of a walker. In between phases of play, he walks, then thinks, oh, I can get there, and, and then goes. He needs to add some movement to, so he's closer to incident so he can win it. When he's he's still reactive for me, he's got the he's got the psychology of a defender at the moment, and I want to see him more as a midfielder and be more reactive in more situations. I thought we looked tired towards the end, but you'd expect that. You'd expect that from the whole group. These guys are not playing ninety minutes very regularly, and so it's interesting. They sort of all tired at a similar time, and that's when you're looking for players to lead. And that's when for that there's a twenty minute period, maybe fifty minute period, where he's under a bit of pressure. And you're looking for you know, Wilshire, Giroud and Walcott to really say, give it to me, I'll hold it, I'll buy a foul, I'll give you lot, you kids a rest. And we weren't able to do that. And that's the bit that I, I walked away a bit frustrated. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't judge I didn't judge them harshly because this is this is what we need to do. We can't look at the first team and look at the contractual situations of our key players, look at the age of some of our key players, and then look at some of our youngsters and think, well, we, we got rubbish them. Because I, I think they're very important to the future of our club. It's very important we get two or three of these come out of this group to supplement a new squad that's coming in the next two years. Because it's coming. Because we're at, we, we reach the end of our cycle. We're reaching it. There are players that are just not going to be able to be in the Arsenal team for one reason or another in the next two years. So these players extrapolate forward and think where they're going to be in two years' time. And then you'll find this is a really, really encouraging night for the club. And, mm-hmm. and that's how I feel. As a Europa League hater, if you're going to get something out of it, this is exactly <laughs> this is exactly what we should be getting out of it. Yeah. It's what we're doing tonight. I'm really, I'm, I'm really quite positive about those youngsters. Less positive, I'm less positive about some of the experienced players, one of them in particular, but really positive about these youngsters who, but my expectation is, is obviously not where, where you're a is. liar Clive you're a well, liar shit. about T.O. I, 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 gotta, I gotta tell you something I mean well first of all Clive let, let me just say this my issue with these young players isn't that I don't think they will come good or be good enough or look like they have potential I'm evaluating them as can they be first team contributors this season and between the Doncaster game and the Bate game I haven't seen enough from any of them in these positions to think they can be. Now, look, Maitland-Niles and Reese Nelson, I think, get a pass to some extent because in the attacking half, you can see what they add. Defensively, they were liabilities, and to your point, you're right. They did all tire at the same time, and then their defensive uh, 
their defensive level really dropped off, and that may just have been fatigue, they're not wingbacks, so it's hard to, to grade them. I thought Willick's performance was uneven. I mean, look, you're, you're right. The bigger worry is Holding and Mustafi really struggling when Mustafi is a first-choice center back and Holding yeah. is probably the first one off the bench as a center back. And the fact that they both struggled as much as they did, I, that's really a concern because those are guys that are going to play and play a lot of minutes and be a crucial part of our back five. Um, but you do have to wonder, behind Hector Bellerin, is it Nelson or Maitland-Niles? I mean, who is behind Hector Bellerin? And behind uh, uh, Kalashinats, it's Monreal, arguably. But why would you ever want to move him out of the, the left center back position unless, I guess, you, you bring Holding in and move Monreal out wide? But, you know, again, the, these are the issues. These players, to me, do not look like players that, if we picked up injuries at wingback, can slot right in at wingback. And I'm not saying they should. I realize this is a big step up in quality. There are very few players that make this step up and look ready for the first team. I mean, I can name three or four over the last decade. You know, a, a Cesc Fabregas, a Jack Wilshire, a Theo Walcott to some extent. I guess he came kind of right in. But, you know, some of these young players who looked like, yep, they, they could be a first team player right away. Um, these guys don't look that for me. Now, Paul, uh, we will come on to the senior players that, that disappointed Clive. Uh, that's a really important segment of the pod, and I, I, I'm going to leave that out there as a teaser so people will actually stay on the pod. But my question for you is about Jack Wilshire. So I have been a huge Jack Wilshire skeptic in terms of whether or not he could be a central midfielder for us in this two, two-man system, and whether he had the legs for it, whether he had the defensive intensity, whether he still had the burst, you know, all of the issues that we know about. Um What's interesting is how much he thrived in this game, at least for the first hour. I think he faded a little bit. And then we started yeah. to see Bate, I think, start to figure out that if you shield him to onto his right foot, he can't do as much. Um, and then he struggled a little bit. But but he really did excel. And he, he, he just had some masterful uh, through balls and, and exchanges with Giroud. Looked like for 20 minutes they were bound and determined to recreate their Norwich goal. Is this now really... Jack's future as a wide forward, as one of the two behind the striker, as and I say wide forward in, in quotes because really he drifted mostly centrally. But is he potentially a big risk to a Wobi in that position? Because you'd have to think that Ozil, Alexis, Welbeck when he's fit, Lacazette, those guys have sort of a lock on those three positions. A Wobi had kind of become the guy that the manager trusted to come in when they weren't available. Is is that really? where Jack's future for the club might might lie and not in central midfield? I don't know. I still think it's really that Ramsey spot. Not that he would dethrone Ramsey, but if Ramsey misses a few games or a lot of games or we lose Chaka, uh, Jack has that experience. Um, now, w- with all of the issues we might know about in terms of pairings and his own game in central midfield, but even as a, a number 10, you know, We've been through this before. I don't see that anything's changed. I don't know that he's the perfect number 10. Uh, Arson generally talks about him running from deeper. Uh, he is a really good dribbler. Um, so, uh, and when I look at him, I really like him playing a little deeper. Not that England uh, deep-lying midfielder role, but really kind of in that Ramsey spot, the, the second central midfielder. Um, did you ever read that piece that was circulating last season about uh, midfielders who scan upfield and how many times they look up per second kind of 
Pirlo style or Chappie style. Was it, was it on BuzzFeed? Possibly, yeah. Okay, it, it, if it wasn't on BuzzFeed, then there's no chance I read it. Okay, yeah, no, I, I think I might have made it there. Okay. Um, but really interesting piece, and what I noticed from the last time I watched uh, Jack playing, how how often he scans upfield per second. He's some of his. I think is Clive getting an erection or no, no, it? no. Just just keep, you just keep talking, Clive, and I'll just oh, talk okay. behind your back on the little messaging right. service here. It's fine. Good, good, good. Yeah, you're doing um, great. So, and I think we saw quite a lot in this game, but I think he can do that from the, the Ramsey spot too. I, I like when he runs from there forward, um, it, kind of towards the number 10 spot. So, so kind of a, a, a variation on the Ramsey thing, but really that Cazorla, from the Ramsey spot, doing a Cazorla type role. I, I still think that's his best. If he's got a little bit smarter about when to stick his ankle out and when to keep it in and... Uh, not to go sliding into tackles deeper in midfield is the problem. The nice thing about him playing further forward is he doesn't need to necessarily be so physical. On the other hand, he's going to get smacked by centre-backs from behind when he plays at the number 10 role. So there, in intense games against Arsenal, everybody gets kicked and he's going to get kicked. So I don't necessarily think him playing on the edge of the box and then trying to burst his way through and dangle the ball in front of people means he's not going to have... Uh, uh, tackles coming in and and no, hit his ankles and it did at Bournemouth and the, the injury I think he got playing for England the last one he got uh, or, uh, was him high up the pitch so I don't necessarily think either p- position protects him yeah no I, I think it's not so much protection it's what his skill set is suited to now I mean he he is really good in tight spaces exchanging passes which I don't know if Ramsey is as adept at that um, he has yes. a great eye for a through ball. He played one incredible curling through ball. Uh, was it the one that led to the to the opening goal, to Theo's opening goal, in fact? Um, uh, no, because he, he provided the pass no. for the opening goal. Um, it didn't so, quite come off. Yeah. No, yeah, right. But that's right. But So, I mean, just his his ability to play that final darting through ball from the edge of the area, his ability to exchange passes, and he, he still has a, a burst in three or four yards of space. He doesn't have a burst in 10 or 15 yards of space. Ramsey is a more powerful runner, has a better engine, can go up and down the pitch all game long, and Jack can't do that, and Shaka needs that next to him. The funny thing is I thought Jack was much better. I don't better. know if he does because Cazorla doesn't do that. Well, Cazorla plays the, Sh- the Shaka role, not the Ramsey role, right? I mean, no, well, Cazorla is the deeper of the two midfielders. He picks it up off the back four or back five, breaks the press, breaks the lines, initiates the attack. Now, he's also played further up the pitch. Cazorla is also a unique set of skills, and we've discussed that. You know, there is no other Santi Cazorla. But I, I think my point with Jack is that Ramsey didn't really excel in, in that position against West Brom in the same way Jack did. Now, look, West Brom is a well-organized Tony Pulis defense, and this is Bate Borisov, who rivaled only Arsenal for defensive banter. But, but let's get uh, Clive's definitive answer on Jack Wilshire to, to settle the debate between me and Paul. Um, Clive, and, and just before you do, I, I, I differ on the Ramsey view. Not, not that he was brilliant. I, th- I still thought he was pretty good. I thought he had a good game. Against uh, West Brom. Who'd we just play? West Brom. Anyway, by not, by not knowing the game, you invalidate your opinion. Clive, yeah, settle the argument. Good point. <laughs> um, so I'm going to mention Tim's article. I don't know if you saw it. On, on, um, uh, I panned uh, it. No, hey, hey Clive, I, I yeah, saw it, but, but Tim's check yep. didn't clear this week, so don't reference the article. 
Okay, okay. So basically, he, he made the point about Ozil um, and Sanchez not playing a minute together this season, and it got you know got him thinking, got me thinking about you know the balance of the front three. We've all got this Ozil because that we want to see, but maybe he's going to add a, a third midfielder like he did versus um, like he did versus West Brom, and then you see how Jack played, and you know to see him play to his maximum, I thought, basically, he was really, really working hard. He was really driving up and down the pitch. He was almost using it as a training game. He was recovering long distances. I actually, I, I was really impressed with him. I actually told him he played with a, a level of pride, you know, a level yep. of pride in the shirt. And, and what really impressed me, in that 20-minute down period, he just... Changed his position. He dropped into central midfield. Received didn't he? the ball. Yep. I yeah, received that too. the ball. Yeah. Bought fouls. Was to you know make himself <laughs> available for kid for kids who were dying. You know they were dying, dying on the dying on the pitch. I mean, Willock made a one two at the edge of the box. It took him three weeks. He had to get a cab to get back to the other box. I mean, he took ages to get back. And he showed, he showed courage right. doing it too, Clive, because some of the tackles that were going in during that period were pretty shameful. I mean, he took. Pretty much a two footer from behind that I don't even think was yeah. called a or it was yeah. called a foul but not a card. I mean, he he dropped deep the last half hour and helped out those kids at great peril to himself and his own well being. Uh, absolutely well said, well said. He tried to buy the referee. He tried to influence the game. I mean, he played like a captain. He played like I was so that's, impressed that's with what, what I, he tried to that's do. That's perfect, Clive. That's what I thought too. He's, he 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 kind of puffed out when we needed it like a captain in the middle of the yeah. park i really thought that he, he was he was a leader of the club tonight and uh, yeah. and i i was watching him and thinking okay the way you're engaged in this game 100% you are engaged in the result you're engaged in impressing other people watching you're engaged in being there for your teammates young and old i i thought he was excellent i always look for intent and his intent to play made it was so so good. I didn't care about his um, execution. But when I looked at and I looked at the stats tonight because it's a strange game to sort of um, to read. I don't always do this, but considering where he played in the game, considering the pressure he was under most most of the time, considering the risky passes he had to take in small spaces, he come away with a ninety-two percent pass completion. Yeah, that's that's. And fantastic. I mean that is. That's outstanding. And while we, while we not playing, Ryan, I don't think he was conservative with his with his choice of passing either. It's not like he was playing the exactly. Elneny, you know, the Elneny game. He he played ninety two percent. He had assists. Risk taking. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Risk taking. That ball inside the fullback for Elneny. I'm oh, sorry for um, Maitland Niles. That yeah, was that's the unbelievable. One. Yeah, incredible. That was unbelievable. So he's taking those sort of risks and coming away with ninety two percent. And doing the defensive work, and then uh, it's not a comparison because they're slightly different players with different skill sets, and we all we all thought one day they might be complementary. But we saw Ramsey in that position do was it seventy plus seventy two percent different opposition he was targeted. I get it, but to get ninety two percent in that in that yeah. area was I I think. Uh, and when really, you consider, really hey Clive, consider how many of those passes involved him and Giroud trying to recreate the Norwich goal. I mean, they had three goals at it. Yeah, if you're you know you're a fan, you're watching, you're seeing these kids come out, you're wondering what they're going to be like. You're looking at other players who are maybe not first choice, who could be demotivated. Then you got Jack Wilshere, number ten, 
less than a year to go in his contract. How's he going to do? How's he going to go? And to see himself apply himself like that, I, I was I was really impressed. And he's, you know, if I'm his manager, I, I'm I'm giving him a handshake. To me, you yeah. showed me that you care. Well, care about his club. And the encouraging thing is that I I think there has been a debate about whether Jack can be any influence on Arsenal at all this season. And I have to admit, I had my doubts. I don't know that I believe that he can be one of the two in midfield. Um, and obviously that's an open debate. Let's not keep going on it because we have other things to get to. But I now very, very clearly believe that he could be very influential as one of the two behind the striker. Um, the only downside there is arguably that's our, our strongest position in terms of options. Um, so let's, uh, let's keep going. And uh, Clive, yeah, if you want to kick the kids off the iPad, uh, Paul and I are going to talk about something totally boring and, and uninteresting to you, and that's Theo Walcott. So, you know, I, fig- okay. I, I, I figure... I'll be back for that. Yeah. <laughs> I figure you can tune this one out. Paul, I, I mean, Walcott gets... While we wait for for, for uh, Clive to get back, can we talk about Walcott, but also Chris Willock's... Or, sorry, Joe Willock's head? I don't I don't know what Willock is a Willock anymore. I mean, we're on our third Willock. He, are we, we talking about the Willock, Willock that played? Yeah, the yeah, good he, Willock, the one that played... Can we have you noticed something about his head? No, I I mean, do we have to? I mean, you've already insulted yeah, you've already do. insulted the good people of Belarus in their language. It, uh, what are we going to yeah. say about Willick's head? So, I've been trying to work out what's going on with his head. It's just a bit too small. Do you know what I mean? It's like you know you have a potato and you start skinning it and you just keep taking off too much skin and too much actual potato and you're left with too small a potato. This is such a disaster. I mean, it's just Every a complete time disaster. I look at him, he looks like an overpeeled potato. So well, that's what I wanted to say about Chris Willock. Well, I appreciate you injecting that into the pod because at 31 Sorry. minutes, I was running out Sorry, of material. Joe Joe so we, we've yeah, now yeah. got a chance to make it to our hour mark, thank God. Uh, but let's talk yeah. Theo for a second. I, Theo. This, so this is an interesting thing, right? I mean, Theo was a <laughs> low-involvement player. He's not going to play 100 passes. He's not going to have 100 touches. And in games where we don't play well, he is so anonymous that it is easy to say he is a terrible player because in games where, where we don't play well, Walcott yeah. is... A total zero for us. Um, yeah, it's easy to get a punch in the mouth, too. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the thing about Theo, though, is he has end product. He really does. And, and he's a little bit stronger than he used to be. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know that his work rate is quite busy in this game. Being. Yeah, I thought so, too. But, I mean, you he know, he, selfish. he scores two goals, one from the Theo position, which is that yeah. right side channel where he just never misses. I think he had a hat trick against Croatia for England from that exact spot. Um but, I mean, when we look at players that get sort of maligned or wind up being the, the target of Arsenal fan ire, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, for example, Giroud for a period of time, Theo Walcott has certainly been in that group. I guess to, for you, as someone who has admired Theo, don't you find it a little bit ridiculous that we ever really had this Ox or Theo debate when you look at the amount, the really substantial amount of end product that Theo Walcott has delivered for us, especially in European competition over the years? Yeah, he knows how to hit a ball straight and hard with low back lift and very little fuss. And sometimes he fluffs it and sometimes it goes on target, but he keeps popping them in the back of the net with alarming regularity. Um, I mean, the the goalkeeper spilled that ball uh, through it, str- kicked it straight at Theo. Now, would Ox have scored with that? No, I don't think so. 
<laughs> I don't think so. I, I actually think most of our players would not have scored with that. Now, it was a rubbish goal. But well, but someone, I mean, look, point. you call that a rubbish goal. We were purring over Lacazette heading in from one yard out against West Brom. Yeah. I mean, Theo deserves right, the so? same kind of credit, right? He does. I mean, he just keeps doing it. I mean, and he'll, people say, oh, he missed one or he, you know, he should have scored double. That's every damn striker on, on, in the world. That's why XGs are never like 0.8. They're always like 0.3, 0.4. Uh, and he, uh, or at best, kind of point five from close range kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he scored two goals. Yeah, he could have had four. So could every striker. And yeah, he was selfish. Um, well, we we don't but, get the win without his goals today. And I, I no, mean, you know, ultimately, I also think it was the kind of game that made players selfish because it was just it was there for the taking. It was sometimes easier to go for it than to try and get the connecting pass to some other player. You know, he wasn't the only player who was selfish. Everybody felt there was a goal in it for them, so they were throwing their arms around when they weren't passed to. But uh, it wasn't his best game. He w- it was one of his busier games, though. I mean, he did quite a lot beyond the usual Theo had two chances and scored kind of thing. Yeah, well, and, and I think he had more space to work for a while. You know, I think what happened here, too, is Borisov were probably a little... A little nervous for this game, and they looked very, very tentative early. Certainly, you saw their keeper trying to rival David Ospina for the banter keeper of the game, although credit to Ospina, made some incredible, albeit point-blank, saves. But um, I think once they started to grow in confidence, and kind of like Doncaster, if you remember, we were kind of on the rack the end of the Doncaster game. It was the same here. Once they realized, wow, these wingbacks... And and wide center backs can't really defend very well. There's buried treasure there. Yeah, I I think it really emboldened them. Now, uh, while we wait for for Clive to kick his kids off the iPads, um, unless Clive yeah, is I mean, back, I, I mean, we th- I think we got to take into account Bate are an actual team like well, Doncaster. Wait a minute. Were, so they may not they wait may not have the actual talent levels. Wait, yep. wait, wait a minute. That was my whole point on the last pod about why we had to play a better back five because this is an actual team away uh, my in whole, Europe. My whole point was we'd beat them anyway, so don't don't worry about it. Right, and look how that turned. Oh, wait, check scoreline. Okay. Um, well, all right, so, so and, and to be fair, I think— uh, but, but here's why I mm-hmm. agree with you about playing a, an actual team, and I disagree with myself. If you're going to give the kids a chance, the more structure that they're plugging into— the better the overall kind of spine and structure playing players in position, the more meaningful it is for them. So I'm kind of a bit, on the one hand, I think the most important thing is to protect uh, the crisis situation in the league. On the other hand, um, do whatever you can, Arson. Do the impossible and do both. Do whatever you can to provide a balanced team balanced second team to some degree. That's why I'm not always against putting in one or two players that we didn't risk this evening just to give it that bit more structure. But you're damned when you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, no, that, that that's fair. Look, I, I mean, at the end of the day, seeing the way they were tackling and realizing that you know we, we did get the win. Um, and Yeah, Elliot. It winds up, look, in final adjudication, he made the right call and, and we got away with it. The the one thing that I th- I was disappointed with I think it's hard to are you, evaluate. Are you going to ask Clive about uh, Joe Willock's head? I'm not going to ask Clive about Joe Willock's head. Uh, I wish we hadn't even had the first discussion about Joe Willock's head. Um, I'm going to pointedly change the subject to well, unfortunately, it, it is going to come back to Willock to some extent. I thought Willock struggled a little bit, but one player that I wanted to watch was El Nenny because 
you know, I felt that he really had to be the captain of the midfield. He really had to be the leader. Um, and I believe Clive, Clive, did you get the kids off the iPad? I see Clive's little circle. I see Great. him back typing. to me. No, back no, to me. We're going to Clive. <laughs> Look, Clive, Clive, please be there. Clive, be there. Okay. I think I can turn this in El Nenny question oh, into okay. a No, you're not turning it into a Willick's head question. So, so listen, Paul, my question is, um, as far as El Nenny night, you know, so I was listening to the Arscast Extra after West Brom, and I, I think Arsblog made a really good point that our passing okay, just... on the counterattack has been really disappointing this season. That, yeah. that we are playing more on the counter, that by virtue of having less control in midfield, we are not controlling games as much, but getting more counterattacking opportunities, especially because we're pressing a little bit more. So that's kind of nice to see. I think it's easier to score from transitions. That's why Liverpool do it and Spurs do it and City do it to some extent. And, you know, there are teams that get great success out of that. But the ball that needs to be played when the opportunity is on hasn't been there. The wall passes from Giroud instead of finding Ramsey running and, you know, uh, uh, Shaka and, and Ramsey haven't necessarily been as effective with it. There were a lot of counterattacking opportunities in this game that we didn't take. Some of them were players carrying the ball too far. Like, I, I think there was a situation where um, it might have been... It might have been Willick. Or was Woo-hoo. it... Yeah, I think it was Willick. Car- just carried it to the edge of the box, kept carrying it, carrying it, didn't give it to anyone, and we lost the opportunity. But I was really looking for El Nenny here to sort of take the lead and, in midfield, be a little bit more adventurous, and and drive us forward. And I, I didn't feel that he was able to do it. Was this maybe a strike against him a little bit in terms of the, the extent to which he wasn't really able to influence the game in a progressive way? Yeah, as this game got, especially as the game got more stretched and you saw it in both directions. So he wasn't able to make the more penetrative uh, DLP type passes that kind of mm-hmm. open them up. You can call it on the counter or when the game was really stretched. And then conversely, going the other way, you saw how slow he was going backwards. You know, he's a very average-paced midfielder. Um, and so the centre-backs would be left to handle all the pressure themselves to some degree. Yeah. Uh, and it's where you see a Maitland-Niles would have got back and got goal side of the midfielder on the ball. So yeah. you, you saw it going in both directions. But yeah, I definitely s- see the issue with El Nenny going that direction. And it, at a time like that, I prefer it was if it was Jack holding that ball a little deeper because he does find those passes on the yes, counter. Yes, yeah, no question. And look, I mean, to, to be fair, a game like West Brom where El Nenny was just there to sort of be the, the possession midfielder and, and wasn't having to do as much Maybe that suits him, and asking him to suddenly be more progressive just because the opposition isn't and fair to him. to be the grown-up in midfield, to be the yeah. grown-up. Yeah. I just felt that that his positioning wasn't as good in this game as I thought maybe it could have been. Clive, as far as, first of all, have the kids been disciplined? Everybody off the iPads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they've been, they've been sent out to the shed. Okay. Outside, right, okay. Until, until I'm finished. Chopping some wood, that's uh, yeah. fair. Um, so then... We're we're talking midfield unless you want to actually come back in on Theo Walcott, but I assume you have nothing to say about uh, <laughs> yeah, young I'll get Theo. To the Theo. But I see you talk about El Nenny, and I yeah. think he was he was one of the only ones that obviously with Mustafi that played against West Brom. Yep. they've had the big flight. He had a big he had a big game against West Brom. Oh, He's another one that seems to. All right, fair enough. I I felt he tired. I felt he tired, and and some of the some of the sort of uh, intense movements you need to make as a midfielder, the, the doggies, right, just one side to the other, a quick sprint, someone 
pings it past you, sprint the other way. You can see he was carrying the suitcase on his back. He looks really slow in those See, it's funny. Moments. I have a really nice television, and I could not see that. Was it like a, a rollerboard or like a, <laughs> yeah. a messenger bag? As I say, <laughs> carrying a suitcase or running with a caravan, towing a caravan, right? So I'm giving you all these stats, giving okay. you all these football sayings. Man, I'm going to sound so intelligent for the next pod. <laughs> <laughs> he was towing the caravan in between them shuttles he was doing. But what I still like, the players can still look for him. And I've heard Paul mention growing up. He's still a grown up. Physically, he faded like the others did, but this is a good experience, right? He dug in there, and um, I, I'm not, I'm not benchmarking these guys with the with the first group. We're looking to find players who can come in and do a job. And El Nene did a job against West Brom, and we were praising him. He always, as soon as you believe in him, he sort of drops away. Next game, <laughs> he's done it so many times. He has one really good game. You think, well, he's it. The next game, you see all his failings, and, and I've been caught by that before. So, um, but yeah, he did okay. He did okay too. Yeah, I, I mean, good enough. Look, this is one of those games where I think everybody if, throughout the club, the goal was get a result and get the hell out of there as fast as possible and be exactly. ready for Brighton. Now, look, I'm sure players like uh, Willock and Enketia and uh, Nelson and Maitland Niles don't feel that way. They, you know, they want to really impress. And I think that is the challenge too. <laughs> It is very difficult to play not only out of position and not only with a group of players you never play with and don't have the rhythms and automatisms with and all that, but then to feel the pressure that I need to do something special here to try to force my way into the reckoning. I just think that that's a, a recipe that adds up to possibly not giving you your best performance. Now, Plus you have the manager saying you'll only get a couple of, couple of chances and you need to be brave and you need to perform when you get those. So it's kind of this mixed message they get. It is hard. And and it's a game that's ripe for it. I mean, it's begging somebody to, to take a ball and bury it, which is why I think we saw quite a few kind of slightly selfish performances. Yep, that's but, absolutely But right. understandable. Yep, totally agree. And and look, if you said to me going into the run of uh, uh, Europa League, Carabao Cup, Europa League, what would I want to see the most other than obviously victories in those games – if you said pick the player you want to most see that maybe has a chance to force his way into the first team and, and be a relevant player for us this season, it'd probably be Jack Wilshire because I don't think anybody else is quite there yet. And Jack did show me enough to suggest that maybe, just maybe, he can be an important player for us this season. And I, you know, I'm not saying he's ready to dislodge Mesut Ozil or, or you know, Aaron Ramsey or Alexis or anything like that, but in a situation where maybe the manager's thinking of Wobie, I think he's going to have to think Jack at least a little bit now. Uh, to be Jack fair, looks mentally and physically prepared in ways we haven't always seen him when he came back. Totally so. agree. Yep, totally agree. And to be fair to Awobi, the one game he got to start was Chelsea away, and I thought it was one of our best performances of the season. So let's let's not write him off just yet. Um, so that that does it for Europa League. We got one game before the international break. It's Brighton at home, and I guess the question on everybody's lips, and by everybody's, I mean mine, it is. Uh, will we see Alexis, Ozil, and Lacazette? And uh, as you referenced, Clive, I think there was a quite brilliant article by Tim Stillman. You can follow him on Twitter, at Stilberto, um, and occasionally hear him on this podcast when he's not traveling all over well, Europe. Well, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a mediocre effort that raised a good point. One of the points he raised that I thought was interesting is he said his gut tells him that Arsenal were looking to move on Ozil this summer and that when they couldn't, they shifted to trying to move Alexis. Um, and that the manager maybe doesn't want to play both of them together, and that 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 may the fact that we haven't seen them together 
maybe as much uh, intention as just a, a happy accident. But now with Iwobi injured, Jack having just played 90 minutes uh, in Belarus, and uh, Welbeck injured, and Ramsey, I don't think particularly excelling uh, in in the wide forward position, and, and certainly our best midfield looking like Shaka Ramsey. Clive, is this the moment? Are we going to see Ozil, Alexis, Lacazette up front for the Arsenal at the Emirates against the mighty Brighton on Sunday? I would hope so. In a home game, if Ozil's fit, I would hope so. But it makes you wonder what's happened. Because um, normally when his when his favourites come back, they play immediately. And um, he didn't bring Alexis back. He really took his time bringing him back. And um, now we're seeing him up to speed. Ozil's got this injury. I, I thought he would have trained, but he didn't train pre-setting um, pre, uh, pre, uh, off from Luton Airport. So I think maybe Ozil has got an injury and maybe we're looking too deeply into it. But I am wondering about the balance of, of the front three. But Ozil can do that job. I think if they're fit, this has got to be the moment, right? Because everyone's rested. This has got to be the moment. Um, so I, I do hope so. I don't see anyone else doing it. Wobie's injured. Theo's Theo's Theo. I don't know if you covered him while I was fixing. The well, it wouldn't it wouldn't matter Theo, because Theo. he just played. You know, he just played the whole game in Belarus, and and so did yeah, Jack. Well, so those two get struck struck from the possibilities. Yeah, but they'd probably be desperate. I think I I I I'm just glad that the two of them are no longer untouchable, and that's what I, and that's what I felt. I felt that they could do anything they like. They can play badly. They can cause issues because their output's generally high. But I don't like players who are untouchable. If they don't do it, the manager should should do something. They should be accountable in the same way everyone else is. We've got a few too many of those, and we saw it in we saw it in August. People that were being played for the wrong reasons, and that fills into the dressing room, and that fills into the spirit. And we saw a dispirited team at Anfield, a team that was obviously divided, a dressing room that was divided, and we put in a performance that reflected that. And since then, the dressing room seems more united. And I think the manager, let's give him some credit. He's trying to do something. He's 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 taking people out. He's making them wait. He's letting them know he's in charge. He's trying to do something. And I'd rather him do that than pander to individuals that are not signing contracts, who who won't don't want to be there. I want him to make people want to be there. If they're not going to be there, if he doesn't trust them, they sit on the bench. It's I, I, as simple I guess as that. Just the, the devil's advocate is, if you don't trust them to give everything for the cause and you won't play them together because they're not the future of Arsenal, <laughs> sell the fucking them. players. Please collect some money for them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what well. the fuck are we playing at? Like, Ozil and Alexis are our two whoa, best whoa, whoa, players. Whoa, 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 Well, no, no, no. I, I, Paul, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying, like, like, like you, you know what? You kept them. Fucking play them because they're awesome players. And he oh, will. by the way, look, let, let me say he this too. But, but he just, <laughs> look, here's what I'm hoping. He just won't play them every time, even when they're 75% fit. Yes, and you're absolutely what right, Paul. true of Ozil and Sanchez in the last few games, were, leading into the last few games, was they were only 75% here's fit. The conundrum. We, saw, we saw the benefit of resting Alexis till he was really ready. Uh, the conundrum for me is that I, while I totally understand not wanting to have two free roll players in the team together because it can destabilize our shape and our discipline, I also feel that Ozil brings out the best in Alexis and Alexis brings out the best in Ozil. Now, Tim sort of debates that in his 
uh, in his column and or article, and I would or, debate it. But but I think no, I think I think they're a great partnership. They pa- they're they're past combinations. When they play together, their past combinations are always tops with each other. They look for each other. They yeah. they feed off each other. They are the two most intelligent in terms of movement and final ball. Yeah. Um, so on the ball, last they, they year was peerless. Sanchez's best performance for most of the season for us, and Ozil's worst. Um, well, let me say this. I think Sanchez had a weird season because I think when he played center forward, it was his best period at the club. I think when he played uh, wide forward in the four three three during that period where we were awful, if you remember it, um, you know, like before we got forced into switching yeah. to the back three, I thought he really, really struggled and then started to come alive a little bit again as we switched to the back three, but I think okay. But being pragmatic, he will be. He won't be the the striker for us this year. So no, of course, you're sorry. talking about Alexis from the left and Ozil, and I don't. I think they generally play well together. They don't always play brilliantly together, and Ozil doesn't always play brilliantly when Alexis is on. I the see pitch. the structural challenges, Paul, because you have two essentially free roll, you know, uh, free agent kind of players on the pitch. It, it's it's a challenge for our structure, Clive. I mean, jump in here, say something intelligent before we lose the, the listeners. Yeah, well, we're, we're we're not looking at this wrong, right? So we've got Obviously. we've got three for yourself. <laughs> well, we got people that are free in our in our team, and it, and it worked in the cup final. We have Ramsey, Erzul, and Sanchez, and they're quite free spirited, right? And it creates problems for us structurally. It creates problems for us defensively. On the ball, let's not debate their talent. On the ball, that we know they're top class, right? They have good days, they have bad days. When they have good days, they're at the top level. Their their output and production is really, really good. That's not the issue. The Chelsea game showed what the issue is. The Chelsea game showed that you know we went away for the first time since Man City, which is I think it was January 2015, and got on the, and got a point away from home versus the top 16. We got that by having two players who are less talented in the Wolverine Welbeck, supplementing the midfield too, filling in when they needed to, but also overloading up front to create 10 chances in the first half of that game, and that's the issue. And when they don't defend, like they didn't do at Man City away last year, they do their work, lose the ball and walk back, let people run between them. That's been happening for a while, and they've never been made to pay a price for their off-the-ball work ethic. Alexis runs around. Yeah, he runs around, and that transmits itself to the fans when he loses the ball. And that's great. But hold on, there are times where he gives up and sits in his haunches. There are times he throws his hands up in the air and, and then doesn't recover into doesn't recover into his hole. He's I'm not you know his output assists and goals we all know he's top class, but there's another side to the game. We're respecting your teammates by working hard off the ball, pressing the ball, and they've got to do that as well. And, and yes, we should have sold them in my opinion. They should have gone. I said I said to you we should have blown it all up quickly as possible and start again we obviously weren't ready to do that so we undenied and tried to do something belatedly which wouldn't have worked out financially but we are where we are the manager now belatedly is trying to manage them right when he's when he has now got no leverage they've got 10 months ago on their contract and that's arsenal that's the hesitancy the lack of clear thought process mm-hmm. but at least he's doing something now yeah. potentially and, uh, and i and i applaud him for it it's, it's late but you've got to say, when someone does something, you've got to say it, right? And he's doing something. I wish he'd have dropped Herzl after Man City away last year when he was just walking about. Yeah. Countless occasions when he's walking about. We all know it. But we all want him in the team the next week. So we're as fans. We're just as bad. When he's not picked, the first thing that comes out online is no Herzl. Why not? Because we all like watching him. But this is well, a we team want it to be game. Fun, right? I mean, the, the problem with Ozil is when he's on it, it, there are there are few players we have that can be as fun and make us as fun to watch, you know. Yeah, 
I miss him dreadfully in the last game. In a home game, I want him out there. I don't want to see. I don't want to see what we saw the other day. It didn't look fluent. It didn't look cohesive. I didn't really massively enjoy how we played. I enjoyed the result, but when Erzul's there, it just flows better. It looks nicer. As I, a defense, I have the same issues. I, I, I'm going to say Sorry. there aren't many teams that look fluid against that West Brom side this season. So yeah. you know, I think it's probably. But you fair. ever watch? You, you ever watch Germany? You watch Germany when Erzul doesn't play. It doesn't flow the same. It doesn't flow the same. I watch him. No wonder they cover him there because he is a person that creates their movement and their rhythm. And he's a person the ball flows through. It's the same for us. And I I was talking last time about our team dynamic. I'm really concerned because they really own it. We don't look the same team when they're not there. I like, you know, players, we've had players come and go from Arsenal and, and we and we rebuild ourselves. But I'm wondering how we're going to replace those two when they go and what yeah. we're going to do and how we're going to do it, what the balance is going to be and, and what's it going to cost, you know, well, versus what we're going to, what we're going to lose by not claiming any money back for those two. Right? It's, not, so, um, it's not going to cost much when, you know, we're promoting from within and buying guys from you know, second division French team. So don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll, and, and we'll see way, what happens. Uh, I mean, just hang on, make a quick, hang on. You yeah. can, I just want, I want to get out my podcast checklist here real quick. So I don't lose track what I'm doing. I have to keep control over this. All right. Relitigate the summer check. Okay, cool. Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> uh, Joe Willock's head check. Right, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. More than not picking Ozil and Sanchez, which it would be a Pyrrhic victory. Anyway, you look at it. I good just use, want to see good use of that. Love that. Pyrrhic victory. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I just want to see us yanking either one of them at 60 or 65 minutes or 70 minutes in a game yeah. when that's what makes sense yeah. as opposed yeah. to playing both no, till that, 90 minutes. That's a really good point. I think you can start with both of them when you want to be front-footed. Let's remember, we're already in a situation where three points is mandatory. One point is kind of meaningless. I'm not talking about even against Brighton at home. I'm talking about even against the big clubs. If we're going to do anything this season, we're going to have to be brave and go for three points against those clubs. But, you know, when their race is run, you're right. You don't just leave them out there because they have big egos. I want to finish with you, Paul, on, on, on one quick issue uh, for this Sunday and going forward. Does the manager have to take Mustafi out of the firing line a little bit maybe? Maybe maybe move Koscielny back to the, the most central uh, center back position and, and move Mustafi out wide? Is there another solution? Are you worried at all? Uh, based on how he played today and, and at the weekend and what's going on with him, that we may have a Mustafi-shaped problem in our in our back five? We might have. I think it's early for that. You're a little harsher on him than I feel, but you could be right. When I run it through the Crapatron 4000, you know, you know mm-hmm. he suffers from the same things in terms of the people who are in front of him in this game, and he's just come off a flight to feckin' Belarus um, I, I wouldn't be getting too worried. Uh, I did mention uh, the thing I like about Koscielny in the middle is the covering pace, which Mustafi covering Koscielny's run upfield doesn't make nearly as much sense for me, but Mustafi's the better distributor so, uh, and more of a shouty player. So it's kind of like our midfield of we say they all have different skill sets, but you sometimes feel, unfortunately, none of the pairings have the right skill skill sets at each spot it's an interesting the full point, set yeah. they need uh, it feels a little bit like that with Koscielny he's not he's technically very good but he's not a visionary upfield passer um, he's cool and calm in his own performance I don't know that he can pull the strings of the two guys to either side of him that's more Mustafi 
the, uh, the weird thing personality is I feel like the, the central most center back is the one who's least going to have the passing angles to break lines, right? I mean, it's from the half spaces where you, where you can kind of break lines. Can you can you uh, really break the lines from the center of the pitch? Yeah, uh, I mean, I've seen two <laughs> opinions on that, and a, and a well written opinion talking about that's the position you need to make the angles from. It depends on how well you move the ball around at the back, and you you knock it to the midfielder who knocks it back. You know, you can create the angles by moving the the your marking midfielders away too. Yeah, so it all depends on how you play the back three, mm-hmm. and I'm not good enough to explain it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Some, you naturally get the angles from the cornerbacks, mm-hmm. but if when you move them around the way you're supposed to, knocking the ball around, you create the angles from the center, center back too. We're probably not that good though, so we probably do have to make the angles. Uh, I certainly don't think that's a reason not to play Mustafi yet. Uh, the right center back, he'll probably have as many good angles from there the way we move the ball around. Clive, final I thought think, on, um, on the back. What to do at the back? I think um, I, I I like what he's done with it, and he's made a big decision to move Koscielny from left centre back in a back four to right centre back in a in a back three. It's a big and decision, that's a, but has it a, worked? Yeah, I think I think it's worked. I think it's worked, and I think Mustafi. What I think is, you know, why would we expose him in wider areas? where he's going to go to ground more. Why do he keep him in the middle where he's got bodies around him, where he can see things early, which covers for maybe his lack of sharpness. He's, he's got, he's, he can communicate, he can, he can communicate to his partners and he can still, when the ball comes to his feet, I don't feel as though he's under, he doesn't know how to handle it and look after it. I feel he's quite good in the ball. I don't expect him to split lines, but I expect him to have variation of paths, which he, which he's got. You know, so um, I I don't, you know, even when he signed, I, I, w- I didn't think he was the right type of centre-half that we needed. I think we need to look ahead, look at Murtasaka and say, OK, you're a big body. We need somebody like him who's quicker. We need a, a, a real centre-half that we could take positions from. I felt we had players like Chambers and Holding and Mustafi. I think they're very similar profile players. They're sort of... Um, Ex fullbacks who but who played at centre half, quite good in the ball, not really super dominant. So to buy you know, to buy three in like three years of the same profile of player quite closely is um is I don't think it's right. I think you need to look at Koscielny, look at Murasaka, look at their ages and say, Okay, we need to replace one of you. We need to have a dominant, fast, big body centre back, and then we can develop the others alongside that individual. By develop, so I assume another... you mean shatter the confidence of and end their career forever? Well, exactly. That's what we do, right? By overstressing them and then embarrassing them in front of the nation and then taking them out when they lose confidence. And that's what we do on occasion with our centre halves. So we I don't think we were smart. And funny enough, the one player that was closest on that defensive profile was Gabriel, and he was the first one to go. Yeah, right? so, um, yeah, I and I don't think that's a smart decision. At 25-26, he runs like the wind. He's, he's dominant. He's, 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 he's a bit rash, I get it, but he's a ferocious defender. Well, I can name you another player. bit rash defender who doesn't have his pace, who's currently a fixture in our starting lineup. Yeah, He's a ferocious defender, and he's ferocious physically, and I think you need one of those, one of those dogs, like a Keown used to be, a real dog, 
It's not good to look at, but he's going to mark you, he's going to kick you, he's going to fight you. And I, I think we, we miss that profile of player in our, in our, in our back line. But, um, well, we don't miss it the in the podcast. Back. I'm here and, you know, I'm not much to look at, but I'm a dog and I won't stop barking. And, uh, you know, I can promise you that, dear listener. Um, well, we'll see. So, yeah, we, it, Go we'll ahead. See. Yep. But we've got, Cham- we've got Chambers and Chambers would have played tonight. It would be interesting to see how he would have done. I'm looking forward to seeing him come back and see see where his ceiling is. Is he a stayer or is he a goer? Right? He's a goer. So, and, he's, and a that's goer. What he's, he's a goer. That's what these games, we'll find out. That's what these games are for. So, you know, we lost, I think we lost Lucas in a pointless game versus Reading last year. Remember when he got stamped on his Achilles? Mm-hmm. He was just getting to form. He got stamped on his Achilles. That took him out for like maybe four or five weeks when he had opportunities to play in, in the cup games. He never got his opportunity. He was kept out till January. And really, it was, it was almost the end of his career from that moment onwards. And to get through these games with no injuries, opportunities to play, another game with Norwich coming up, we got a couple of games to rest our Belgrade coming up. All these players are going to get match time. If they're getting through it with no injuries, that's that's fantastic. To at least say some of them can underpin yeah. the squad that we will have, and they will pick up injuries. So there's a positive to tonight, and I feel positive from a club perspective that we're finding new players or finding out about them. Yeah, we're and getting we some answers. Time. Yeah, and look, yeah. The, the good thing about the Belgrade games is those are proper games. I mean, I, I think those... Those could be tough games. Um, you know, they're second in the group. I think going away to, to Belgrade is going to be really difficult. So these players will have a proper challenge on their hands um, as opposed to maybe what they've faced between Doncaster and, and Bati Borisov and Colin at home. Um, if, yeah. if tonight's game proved anything, though, and, and the press conference before it, it proved that the manager is right. This is really the European competition you want to be in. Um, and that the shine really is off the Champions League. So we really picked the right time to be in it. Um, Clive's on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you. You can find Paul on Twitter at Posn in my pants. I don't recommend it, but there he is. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Yep, Tim isn't here, so screw him. Give us five-star review and write nasty things about Tim uh, and his travel to Belarus and all the pictures he posts of himself drinking beer in fabulous places. I'm very jealous. My name is Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We'll be back after the Brighton game, and then the international break starts. And if you missed the last podcast, Paul and Clive have promised to do one-hour-long individual podcast for every single member of the starting squad. So we'll look forward to that. I'm unfortunately unavailable. In any event, cheers. Up the Arsenal. Up the Arsenal.